0: You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan, FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.
1: Okay, now next on the tee with me in this special edition of the show is John Simpson. John is the founder of the Encourse Foundation, which offers injured military veterans an opportunity to participate in the game of golf. Whether it's as a player or employment in the golf industry, the foundation conducts events in 15 major markets each year. John also worked for IMG for many years alongside Mark McCormick in supporting the big three of Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and Gary Player. Mr. Palmer was a patron of Encourse since its inception. John went on to manage the business affairs of players like Nick Faldo, V.J. Singh, Bernard Longer, Nick Price, and several others. And it is a huge privilege to have him with me today here on Next on the T. Hi, John. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Oh, nice for having me. Nice speaking to you, Chris.
1: John, I want to start out by going back to early childhood for you. I read that you had polio as a kid. Talk about what it was like growing up for you and dealing with that.
2: Well, it was uh, it was interesting looking back and uh, quite character building. But uh, I was I had some lot of operations when I was thirteen, so I think I was in op- in hospital for about a year altogether. Uh, and I was very lucky because uh, my father played golf and a, a friend of his played golf, and they said to me, "Although you're in a a brace and and your left leg doesn't work, the one game you can play." on a level playing field with able-bodied is golf. And so I started playing golf. And uh, as they say, the rest is history.
1: And John, speaking of your father, your father and uncle were pilots in World War II. I read your uncle was shot down. But talk about your family, military ties, and the impact that had on your life.
2: Sure. Well, my dad was a Spitfire and Hurricane pilot in, in the Second World War and uh, stayed in until 56. We flew jets, and uh, my mother was a dental nurse in the Royal Air Force as well. So so I was brought up as a sort of uh, RAF brat, if you like, moving all over the place. And um, it had an influence on me in the fact that uh, I really wanted to be a fighter pilot myself, but obviously realized that that wasn't physically possible and uh, that I'd really better find something else to do um, that would keep me occupied and, and help me give me a good career. And, uh, I was very lucky that I had heard about Mark McCormack managing the big three. And in fact, it was Arnold Palmer that was patron of the charity. Um, and I just thought, I think it's the business of the future. And I wrote to him and a bit naughtily said that I didn't think he'd gone much longer without me. And he must've thought, who is this idiot writing this? And, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I met with him, and uh, uh, that was it, really. that the, the, we I, I got a job, and the first three took about luck. The idea was to try and sign players outside of the States, and um, the first three that joined were uh, Nick Valdo, Bernard Langer, and Nicky Price, which is not a bad three ball to start off with <laughs> for anybody. No, so a, a lot of luck there, and then um, obviously grew from that into uh, many of the world's top players and I had a tremendous career for around 20 years.
1: So let's take that a step further. It's not like Mark handed you those guys. How did you go about getting those guys to sign on the dotted line?
2: Some really good names. Three of them you just mentioned, the big three. I'm losing Um, you again. uh, And then, you know, when you sign these guys and uh, obviously we're the similar ages. And uh, so and, and, and the fact that they could then speak to older clients of ours who would say, look, with a, with a sort of thumbs up from those guys, um, it was easier to sign new players than it is now, I can assure you.
1: So as their business manager, I mean, these guys obviously were some of the greatest players And over a couple of decades, just looking at the 80s, the 90s, and probably even into the early parts of the 2000s. We'll get to Bernard Langer and how great he is at the age of 66 almost. But mm. when you look at those guys, and they're starting to, to rack up wins, they're, they're racking up majors. What was it like for you to to be leading their business affairs and watching these guys grow into some of the greatest players of all time?
2: Well, it was very exciting, I must say. And it was a great period of time because uh, it was a, a, a time that um, Europe was sort of having thanks to Seve to begin with, and, and then with the rest of the world with Greg, And these guys were were some of the best players in the world. And uh, it was an exciting time because golf was becoming an interesting area for major sponsors and and corporates and blue chip companies to get involved with. So um, there was a lot of new areas of of companies that wanted to get involved. And we always had the process that if you had the best player from each country uh, and then uh, you managed them, you would then be able a position to get all the major sponsors and blue-chip companies from those countries uh, and then ideally uh, start a tournament uh, that they could all play in uh, and um, we then film it with a, the, the film company, TWI, which we started and um, obviously put our players into it. So it was a, a really good formula that Mark thought of that was simple but got the players then owned the events, and then owned the television.
1: Having worked so closely with Bernard Langer, does it surprise you at all that here he is, decades later, setting the all-time wins record on the Champions Tour, still winning majors like he just did at the U.S. Senior Open, and the guy's almost 66 years of age?
2: Uh, You'll be surprised to know, and I actually wrote him a little email saying it didn't surprise me, because honestly it didn't. He had so much. Uh, going for him uh, character wise and um, so so strong uh, in many areas. But golf was probably the weakest part in those days because, you know, early on um, when I we actually signed him, you know, he just got the yips. And uh, I remember the first time I saw him play, he had, uh, he faded, uh, sorry, drew a, a drive on a par five, faded a par, uh, sort of a, a Three wood into 15 or 20 feet and he just hold the fourth putt. oh my and it was and all the guys playing with them had their back they couldn't watch it <laughs> and he went out straight away and started practicing his putting and um I, I just thought he was such an amazing guy and i asked two players one was tony jacklin i said what do you think of bernard langer and he said once you've got the yips you will never, ever uh, be able to to win tournaments. That's the end of your career. Don't think about it. And uh, I asked Ray Floyd to have a look at him, and he said, uh, I haven't played with him, but I heard he had trouble with his butting. And Ray actually saw him on the practice ground. And he said, I don't know about why I'm going to play, but I can see three knuckles on his left hand, and I don't think he'll hit the ball high enough to win in America. Wow. <laughs> He proved them all wrong because he changed things to get it right. You know, I'm sure they were, in their own mind, they were right. But he managed to change. And, um, you know, he's exactly the same guy. Even the clothing, not many people can say that.
1: So, John, as, as they start winning and they start racking up majors, I have to imagine demand for their time, appearances, endorsements, things had to be going crazy. What was it like fielding the demand that corporations and shows and people had for them while also making sure they had the right amount of time to continue to focus on how to win golf tournaments?
2: Well, the major, uh, the most important thing uh, for these guys was winning majors. And um, we all knew that if you continue to win majors, perform uh, in majors, win other tournaments, the money would always be there. You always make money on the back of that. So, um, you know, we're always very careful that what they did was uh, nothing short term but long term. And, uh, you know, they they wouldn't do anything that would affect their chances in preparing or getting ready for the big ones. So um, I got, you know, on my job was always to, to sort of deliver everything. If someone rung me and said, I want one of these guys and I'll pay him, you know, whatever it takes to get them there, I had to report that. Um, and they would make the decision. Say, usually say, what, do you, what would you do? And I said, I wouldn't do it. And they said, well, we agree. So it was a sort of relationship built on trust. Uh, and the goals that they had were the goals that we had. And you had to take a long-term approach into the whole business.
1: John, I'm sure over the years, you had to field some crazy requests. What are some of the asks that made you shake your head and say, you want one of my players to do what?
2: You know, there's many of them some of them we can't even talk about <laughs> but uh, yeah there were some really weird ones and um, uh, I remember one chap saying what would it cost to play uh, with um, one of these guys and uh, and I thought it was the media or trying to find out what the fees would be and, and I said well who is this and, and uh, he said well I can't really say which was basically in a very nice way, the end of the conversation, because if I don't know who I'm talking to anyway, it yeah. turned out to be a really super gr- group uh, from uh, was the Brunei, you know the Sultan of Brunei. Wow, and so they won and it ended up with about ten or fifteen of the top golfers going over to Brunei after playing in the Johnny Walker uh tournaments in in um in um, Thailand. Uh, for a day and a night, and I don't think anybody ever got any more fees or more fun than they had in doing that. And that was a phone call that could have easily, you know, nothing could have happened with because nobody would say who, who it was, and I wasn't going to say how much it was going to cost to people I didn't know. But everybody was trying to keep everything quiet, so that was pretty bizarre.
1: John, you visited the Headley Court Rehabilitation Centre in the UK there in 2008. Talk about what you saw there, and was that really? What led to the start of the Encourse Foundation?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I'm obviously being disabled myself, and uh, I played golf and uh, one somebody who I played with, and I wasn't too sure what he did, but he actually worked at Headley Court and asked if I would go down and speak to um, some of his people. And I thought it was a school, or I wasn't too sure what it was, but I I played well that day, and you know, I thought sure, and then I found out it was Headley Court. It had a big um, Effect on me because, you know, the injuries I saw were horrific a lot of the time. Youngsters, very young guys. And, and uh, you know, I just remembered my situation and no one ever told me uh, that golf was a game that I could play during my rehab for the all reasons we talked about and the confidence, self-esteem and playing on a level playing field. That's the key with able-bodied people. And um, so I thought I'm in a great position uh, being in the golf industry and I say being disabled myself to start a charity that would help them to play golf on a long term basis uh, with the aim of uh, getting them employment in the golf and related industries. And uh, luckily, that's all that came about. And that's when I spoke to a few people like Arnold Palmer said immediately that he would become the patron for us. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the sort of help we got early on, basically in the public se- sector and uh, not from governing bodies particularly, except for the RNA were very helpful um, to, to actually get cracking and uh, create this. It, it's quite difficult to start a charity, you know. It's It's amazing how many people want to let you know that something like 75% of all charities started have gone bankrupt within three years. So I got the message, and that's one thing that was never going to happen because I just had a gut feeling that we were, this was really going to work, and uh, thank goodness I was proved right. You mentioned Mr.
1: Palmer as a patron of the foundation. Talk about his influence and the things he was able to help
2: you achieve. Well, he was an amazing guy, number one. Uh, I have huge admiration for what Arnold did, obviously, but not on the golf course, but as a person. And um, every year we would take uh, uh, 20 of our guys to Orlando to the Grand Vista, the Marriott there. We still do it. And uh, to do a week's sort of getting involved in golf and training and uh, coaching. And then Arnold would always invite them over for a cup of tea or coffee, whatever. And uh, the way he spoke to them, being an expert himself, uh, was quite extraordinary. And he always had time for people. And uh, I thought it was funny that uh, the first time we went, uh, some of the youngsters, of course, they're not golfers. Mm-hmm. And when we said we were going over to uh, to meet Arnold Palmer, all they knew was, is that where they make the drink? <laughs> so I said, no, it's not. It's actually a person who's, you know, I said, we call him the king. And it's amazing after, you know, meeting him, they all turned around and said, my goodness me, he is the king. What a great man. And he was. He was great. And he knew exactly how to speak to them uh, in, in, the, in a very positive way. And, uh, you know, was was just fantastic. That's all I would tell you. He was brilliant.
1: John, I have to imagine that you've seen some heartwarming stories based on the impact that OnCourse has had on veterans' lives and other people that you've touched. Do you mind sharing some of the, the stories that really make your heart feel good?
2: Yeah, sure, sure. Well I, I, I think from the, the difference in, in guys who sometimes can't even look you in the eyes. Um uh, and that's obviously well with not only physical injuries but with mental injuries with PTSD. And you see them playing great golf, enjoying life again, um and one of them pointed out that a, a, a happy daddy is a good daddy. I remember that hit me pretty hard when I realised how true that was. And just sitting, you know, get them off the sofa and uh, just feeling sorry for themselves. And um, we have some great stories. I think that one of the guys who's actually qualifying for the Simpson Cup today, we've got the qualification in Britain at the moment, final final qualifying. And he had a a sort of brain injury and uh, wanted to uh, work outside. And we got him a a, a sort of four-month trial. and and, and sort of tried greenkeeping at uh, Royal Lytham, which he passed Mm -hmm. with flying colours, and they gave him a job. Um, A a year into it, um, Mm -hmm. there was a machine that the golf director, whatever, had got in to do something with the golf course. They'd rented it, and it broke down, and it was 24 hours to get it fixed. And David said, well, hold on. I think I could fix this. Because you forget, a lot of these guys have got a a lot of, Qualifications in other areas. And um, he duly fixed it in about two hours. And wow. now he is Ooh. in charge of all machinery at Wentworth Golf Club. Oh, my. So that's the sort of successes you have. And uh, I think the other thing that I must mention is um, Harry um, Buddha um, is an actual Gurkha from Nepal. And Harry is a, a both legs uh, high up amputee. And uh, he lost them in Afghanistan. And he joined on course, uh, did very well, got his confidence and self-esteem back and actually played in the Simpson Cup at Maidstone uh, and uh, in New York. And uh, about a year later, he said, John, I've got to do something and I won't be able to play much golf until I've done this. So we all said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to climb Everest.
0: To be the first
2: high up double amputee ever to, and uh, he had five world records uh, before going into, and obviously COVID stopped him going to Everest a couple of years ago, three years ago, but uh, he went in May and successfully climbed Everest with no legs.
1: Is that right?
2: Yeah, and that to me, I get emotional just thinking about it. He is, you know, and uh, and now he all he said now, John, I want to get back to playing golf again (laughs) i've missed it that's amazing Uh,
1: what a great story
2: oh yeah yeah harry buddha Magar, you can look him up and you'll see a lot of the uh film of what they're doing and they're doing a documentary on it now as well which is great but it all came through the on course foundation that's how we got him
1: john you mentioned things like this you've got a lot of events that you guys do what what are some of the things that are coming up
2: well we've got uh obviously uh in states and here we have especially during this time of the year uh you know a couple of events a year we have introduction to golf and then we have a two-day event where when you've been introduced and we do the the sort of coaching element and we teach them the uh, all the areas of golf the etiquette the rules and the history uh because of i was trying to get them employment and uh when you think two of our guys by the way both for the same injury one american and one Brit both have high up left leg amputations, and never really played any golf before uh, their injuries. And both have turned pro. And uh, one of them has played on the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, first ever amputee military amputee to play. And uh, the Brit has played on the European uh, Tour on the disability one and won the Irish Open last year. Wow! So that's amazing. And then yes. uh, we've got the we've got the Simpson Cup which is what the qualifying for is today uh, for the Brits. And we had the American qualifying, final qualifying uh, two weeks ago. And that's 13 uh, injured Americans against 13 injured Brits in a sort of Ryder Club style match play. And we're, we do one year in America, one year here. We're in Bolter's role last year. Uh, and we're in Royalism this year. And, uh, you know, we've got some really exciting... Venues coming up in the next few years as well. So, and it's all even actually because we started at TPC Storegrass. So it's 6 6 at the moment. So it's all to play for, as I say. And the Simpson Cup is in on the 24th of September at Royalism this year.
1: That's fantastic. John, for our listeners who want to get more involved and want to learn more about the Encourse Foundation and reach out if they are a military veteran and know someone who could benefit. From what you're doing at the foundation, how can they do it?
2: Sure. Well, the best thing is to go on on the web and oncoursefoundationusa.org. And then if you go through that, and then our guys will, girls will get back to you, and you know um, we'll see if we can get you along to uh, to get you going at golf. And even if you have played a bit of golf, we still want you, and uh, you know to not only to get you to as good as you can golf-wise, but also look at the employment side which at the end of the day, I think when we look back on this, it would be a huge thing to know that not only it, we got them playing golf, but we've got them employment as well. Uh, that makes me very happy.
1: No doubt. Are you guys out on social media? Is there a way to follow you guys?
2: Yeah, I, I think there is, but it'll be on the website. It'll tell you all that on there in Instagram and all that just on course foundation.
1: Well, John, it's a huge privilege getting to spend some time with you and learn about your background, your life, and the great things you're doing with the Encourse Foundation. I hope you'll come back soon. Keep us updated with all the great things you're doing, because it's been really a privilege to get to spend some time with you. You're fantastic.
2: Well, Chris, thank you very much. And I, I, I if you think, uh, and I'll take that as, as a compliment for everybody else, because the guys and girls we have are the fantastic ones. They're quite amazing. They really are. And we're very proud of uh, them as people. And, and, uh, you know, you couldn't get finer ambassadors for the two countries for anywhere than these guys.
1: John, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. I hope we Hands get to you, catch Chris. up soon.
2: Thanks a lot. I look forward to it. So do I. Take care, John. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: That is John Simpson, folks. Tremendous, tremendous career that he has had. And please go online. If you're a veteran or you know a veteran who could use some support and some help, go online to org. They're doing such great things for our military veterans. John is just an amazing man. He's done so much over the course of his career. I love that part of the story where he said he reached out to Mark McCormick and told him, you can't do this without me. How great is that? And then getting to be a part of supporting the big three of Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, his wonderful relationship with Mr. Player, him becoming a patron of the Encores Foundation, and going from the big three to then handling the business affairs for Nick Valdo, Vijay Singh, Bernard Longer, Nick Price, and several others after that. Fantastic stuff from him from his career to now what he's doing with the Encore Foundation. So reach out if you know a veteran or if you are a veteran who needs support. And I look forward to having John back on the show again sometime soon. Okay, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this very special segment of Next on the Tee. Next week scheduled to join me are Jane Blaylock, Mark Kalkovecchia, Rich Katz, and Joe Grohman. Four fantastic guests, four great people, and I'm so honored that they are going to be joining me again next week. And folks, I can't thank you enough for continuing to make Next on the T a part of your regular golf content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.